Well, so how are you holding up out there? Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty tired of the news lately. I can barely follow it anymore. But, you know, in saying that, it, I've been wondering about something, and that, that brings me to the question that I had for this episode. Like, what's what's inspired you to not completely give up hope yet? And while I've been thinking about this, I actually spoke with a podcasting hero of mine. He's a veteran radio producer. And I asked him how he's coping and also, you know, what we can do to kind of navigate through the spiritual challenges that we're all going through. I'm Josh Morgan, and this is The Plural of You, the podcast about people helping people. I'm a data analyst and sociologist living in Baltimore, Maryland. And in my spare time, I collect stories from people who care. And I ask them for advice on how you can make a difference, too. David Freudberg is one of those leaders. He's the executive producer at Human Media, a media production company that aims to, quote, serve the large and growing audience of people who seek a positive alternative to media negativity and exploitation, unquote. You've probably heard David's work since you're listening to this podcast. He's produced documentaries and stories for NPR and other radio outlets since 1971. And he's also the host of the podcast and radio program, Humankind, which has been in production for over 20 years. As he would put it, David has labored to address and call forth the highest part of people. I reached out to him recently to ask him why. Where does his fondness for people come from? You know, I think it can be hard to maintain our caring attitude toward people. So I regard it as sort of a constant practice, and I sometimes fall down on the job, and I have to stand back up and sometimes have to apologize. And, you know, the the challenge for me is can I retain empathy so that I'm really able to understand what the other person is going through. That's a challenge. That's a kind of spiritual practice. I certainly love people. Uh, Where does that come from? I don't know. I remember my dad who passed away uh, almost three years ago was kind of adored by people. He was a businessman. He worked at an insurance company. But people seemed to really like him and take to him. And then in his final years, he lived to his early 90s. People all were um, very affectionate toward him. And I think that was genuinely the way my dad treated others. So maybe some of that rubbed off on me. Of course, a big part of what we do is just the result of insatiable curiosity. I certainly hope that uh, I continue to be a learner and a good listener. I remember a couple of years ago, I was interviewing a documentary filmmaker, and he said that you start out in the field of documentary filmmaking uh, with a, sort of a treatment for, you know, what is the program going to be about and what subjects are you going to cover? And you kind of prepare an outline from that. And he said very rarely in his experience does everything match up to the way the outline originally projected. And he said, if if everything is going according to your plan, you're not listening to the person you're interviewing. That's a good point. And I love that because I think that's really true. It requires a certain responsiveness and, you know, living in the moment and mostly just trying really hard to pay attention 
and to listen deeply. And that's very hard, very hard to do that in our attention deficit disorder society. And that makes me wonder, kind of segues into a question that I wanted to ask you was when you started your broadcast uh, radio production career, did you envision something different than what it kind of evolved into today? Well, I started very young, ridiculously young. My first national broadcast on NPR was when I was 16. Oh, my goodness. And I certainly can't claim to have had uh, a very complete image of the way things might develop. I knew that it was tremendously fun and that I was learning a lot. So did you grow up with an appreciation for radio? I guess I did. I mean, the radio was on a lot in my home and uh, in the car when I drove with my parents. And of course, when I started to understand the world of public radio, I became familiar with the use of ambient sound and the rich use of music in programs and all of the audio experience. But, you know, the greatest ingredient of all is the human voice. Scientists will tell us that each person's voice is, in fact, unique to them, that nobody else has a voice identical to the one that you have or that I have. It's the deepest expression of who we are. And then eventually, um, when I got a little older, I developed a more conscious spiritual life. And I think that has been a guiding force in uh, some of the work that I do. After building a career in public radio, David decided to launch his own program. He applied for a few grants and was awarded funding for a show titled Humankind Public Radio, which premiered on NPR stations in 1997. He gave the show a broad name so that he could use it to explore all sorts of human interest topics. And today, Humankind and David's production company share a mission statement that traces the threads tying all of us together as human beings. The primary vision was that we're trying to figure out how to hold on to our humanity. And I think we live in very dark times. Maybe that's always been true. It certainly feels like much of the 20th century has been punctuated by very dark moments. That, of course, extends into the 21st century. And I am really feeling the weight of all this stuff that's coming down on us now on many levels, the complete political dysfunction the threat of climate change. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on now, and it's very challenging. And the question is, in the face of that, how do you hang on to your humanity? What are the core skills that we need to do that? And I either explicitly or implicitly try to go to those often in humankind, because I think those are the essential survival skills for human beings. And I think... They build on things that are not particularly original or surprising. You know, can we treat each other with compassion? Do we prioritize service to other people? Do we comport ourselves with a basic generosity of spirit and generosity of resources? Do we regard other people with equality? Are we trying to practice civility? I mean, those are very basic human traits, but they're very hard to refine and hold on to 
and they're essential because if we if we can't get there, things fall apart. And to the extent that we can get there, we really can preserve and build. And in your case, since you spent so many years talking with some of the most caring people in our country and elsewhere, uh, I feel like you have a lot of good source material to draw from in your own life. I was curious if there's ever been a time where you kind of heard the words of someone that you've interviewed, maybe in a time where you needed to hear them the most. You know, very often people will will share deep things and they help me. I was talking with uh, some chaplains who helped the homeless, and uh, this included some social workers as well. They were talking a lot about how their work is informed by their own personal journey and sometimes their own personal struggles. And uh, there's a phrase that's attributed to the theologian Henry Nowen, who died a few decades ago, the wounded healer. And that the people who set out to heal others, to um, heal social problems, are frequently themselves wounded. And it's kind of a dance where they try to heal others and heal themselves at the same time. And at a certain level, we're all wounded people. um, and, And we're all trying our best to put together a meaningful life and to understand how the universe works, and it's from being wounded that the compassion arises. Uh, You know, I think there's very few people who sort of come down from a mountaintop and help others. I think people develop their hunger to help based in part on their personal struggles. And just seeing the interconnectedness of that was inspiring to me. This concept of wounded healers really resonated with me as David told me his story. He was also kind enough to share a second story with me that's led me to rethink my own interactions with other people. Back, I think it was about 15 years ago, a couple of friends of mine, unrelated to each other, separately told me that they thought there's somebody they would like me to interview. The background was very unlikely, but actually true. And this involved a young man who I believe was age 11 who had actually written two New York Times bestsellers by that age and who had appeared on Oprah, which is how one of my friends found out about him. And he was a, um, a remarkable, remarkable human being by the name of Maddie Stepanek, who was unfortunately disabled. He was battling a rare form of muscular dystrophy that in the end killed all three of his siblings and eventually Maddie himself. I went down to your town, Baltimore, and had arranged in advance with his mom for me to come. Maddie was giving media interviews. He had actually addressed the National Press Club, which we have a clip of in the episode I did with Maddie. And I remember Maddie saying to always let others get in line in front of you. Now, that is such a simple kind of childlike piece of advice. But God, wouldn't our world be so much better if instead of rushing and pushing through things, we just said, I can be relaxed. If somebody else is in a hurry, I can let them get in line in front of me. That was that was such a simple thing. 
And yet I can't tell you how many times I've thought about that when I was feeling personally a little harried and, well, look, maybe I could relax, take a deep breath, let the other person get in line in front of me, make their day better. I'm not going to lose anything. Maybe I'll even gain a friend out of it. It's stuff like that, that, you know, the little things that sometimes can really linger with you. I can just picture you waiting in line, like at a supermarket or something, and, and Maddie's voice being in your head <laughs> every time somebody approaches. <laughs> now, don't hold me to the standard all the time. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> because I can, I can be impatient like everybody else. For sure, yeah. But it, it is really, really a great reminder. You know, I was choked up during that interview, not because Maddie was suffering, He was in a wheelchair at that point. He had an oxygen tube. But because I realized I was witnessing tremendous beauty in this young child who was speaking from the heart, he seemed to have wisdom beyond his years. And it came out in such a way that I was just deeply, deeply touched. There have been hundreds of wonderful interviews. And what a gifted person I am in the sense of I've received gifts from others. Mm -hmm. Uh, I never thought about that. Maybe the word gifted really means that you have received a gift. In any case, that's how Hmm. I feel that I receive gift after gift through no particular achievement of my own, but I guess I'm sometimes in the right place to be offered those gifts and sometimes I'm conscious enough to be able to accept them. David spent most of his adult life documenting how people exercise their spirituality. In 2017, he marked another milestone in his career with the launch of the Spiritual Care Podcast. This podcast profiles the lives of spiritual caregivers as they serve others all across the United States. The way that came about was I had been working on a project called The Power of Nonviolence, trying to find solutions to this menace of violence and warfare that plagues mankind to this day. And I noticed that I kept bumping into these interesting people called chaplains. And I just thought, these are really interesting people. Who are they? And we're trying with this new project to talk with chaplains, but also other spiritual caregivers, including physicians and nurses and social workers and other people, because we we do need spiritual care services in this society. We need health care services, but our health is mind, body, and spirit. That's really the alignment that gives us health on all levels. In some cases, people are in existential crises, and they, they need somebody to talk to. And if somebody has the skills to be able to hear you and maybe offer you some gentle support uh, without necessarily any other agenda, That's a huge thing. So I wanted to find out what that was like and to uh, to document that. I'm not kidding when I say that the Spiritual Care Podcast is one of the most profound podcasts I've heard in a long time. I put the third episode of the series in my ears while at the office one day, and I had to stop everything I was doing halfway through because it was that good. Here's an excerpt from that episode featuring David and a chaplain who was working in hospice care.
If you'd like to hear more, that episode of the Spiritual Care Podcast is titled Caring for People at the End of Life. Here's David sharing where you can find more of the Spiritual Care Podcast and follow the rest of his work at Human Media Online. Humanmedia.org is our main website. The Spiritual Care Podcast also lives at spiritualcarepodcast.org. And people can subscribe to our podcasts at iTunes and Stitcher and other places where people find their podcasts. A lot of our recent series are there free in their entirety, including the power of nonviolence that I just described. So I have to admit something. Um, I was feeling pretty discouraged around the time David and I talked for this episode. I'd had a few rough months at the end of 2017, uh, job-related stuff, and I took a couple of months off from the plural of you because I just had to clear my head. Plus, there was all this negativity going around in American culture, to be honest, and it just, it was all getting to me. So I asked David while I had the opportunity, how does he do it? Like, how does he cope when things get heavy in his own life or in the rest of society? It's really easy to be discouraged. I mean, we, we live in a time that is frightful to me. I mean, I think our country is in, in very serious trouble. And it feels to me like American society is hitting bottom as we speak. Um, but, you know, the experience, as I've documented from the addiction fellowships like Alcoholics Anonymous, is that when people hit bottom, they can go in one of two directions. Either they utterly self-destruct or they actually rise to a new level based on some experience that they had to go through in order to learn. And I am hoping that that will happen to America. I believe that there are an awful lot of good people out there trying to be good. I mean, think of how many people just in the last 24 or 48 hours in your life may have shown you some minor act of kindness or civility. I mean, I see it all the time. And that really reaffirms my commitment to keep trying to do this. But, you know, nothing like this comes easy. If it's really valuable and if it really has merit and is worthwhile, there will be challenges to it. it somehow that seems to be the way things work. I personally need to keep digging deep and reaching inside and finding the strength to keep going because this can't be done on one's own. This has to be based on an inner strength that one finds from a higher source. That higher source can be whatever inspires you because spirituality isn't only a religious endeavor. It can involve all sorts of things, including God, but also including nature and people, your family and your friends, your own story, like the things you've been through, someone else's story, whatever you find beauty and meaning in. For me, part of what I enjoy in life is seeing people get along, seeing people communicate and cooperate out of empathy and mutual respect. But it seems like we're at a point in American history where that's less common than it used to be, and it's scary because there's no quick fix for it. Before we can talk about transforming the country into a more civil and compassionate place to live, we have to get our minds right first. We've got to find some common values again, not based on one ideology, but 
open to everything that might inspire us. And it comforts me to know that David and the caregivers that he features in his work are holding the line for us in that struggle. This has been The Plural of You. I'm Josh Morgan, and the show's website is pluralofyou.org. That's all for now. Thank you for being kind today. Take care.